Good morning, Canoe Creek. My name is Todd Prater. I'm the student minister on staff here, and I am excited to be here with you this morning. I hope that you felt welcome from the time that you got out of your car, uh, came in here, maybe you grabbed some coffee, and now you found your seat in the auditorium, and we're glad that you guys are here. You guys are an important part of what we do on Sunday morning, and we appreciate you showing up and getting engaged with our church and our vision here. As our family ministry and our church, we love to partner with families and celebrate the milestone events like Doug was talking about. Things like welcoming a new baby into the family and rallying around them. It's a beautiful picture when you see a family rally around a child and they commit to pray for that child and raise that child in the fear of the Lord. And we love to celebrate that moment. And celebrating our preschoolers graduating and going to kindergarten and starting their elementary journey. Baptism is another milestone that we love to celebrate life of the family, going from elementary school to middle school with all the smells that come with that phase. Trust me, I've got one that's about to do it and the smells are real. We love to celebrate and partner with families as they do that. And then today, graduation Sunday, man, this is a milestone that we love to celebrate. We love to watch our kids go off and just be amazing examples of who Jesus can be in our community and in our world. And those 12 faces that you saw in the bumper video before I came up represent stories and they represent families that you may or may not know. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. It's a little bit different. Um, I wanna invite us into a posture of prayer for those families. Uh, you may not know their stories or their families, but you're a big part of their story. And we wanna encourage you guys, just while I pray, I just wanna ask you to pray for those faces and those families that are represented, and then we'll jump into what we're gonna talk about this morning. So pray with me if you would. Dear God, we just, God, we thank you for the awesome responsibility that you've given us as a church family to love on the next generation. Uh, from birth uh, through middle school, high school, into college. God, we, we thank you for that opportunity. Uh, God, we thank you for the opportunity to recognize them and to celebrate them and their families. God, we pray for the phase that they're going into, whatever's next, whether it's a job, whether it's school, whether it's uh, a tech school. God, we just pray that you would just be with them and they would feel your presence in that moment. God, we pray for the moms and dads who are sending those little ones out. Uh, God, we pray that you would give them the, the courage and the comfort to rest in you. In your holy name we pray, amen. So with, with Ross out, I thought this was a great opportunity for us to just do a couple hours of study on the book of Revelation. You guys with me? Let's go. No, I promise you, I'm not your guy for that. Uh, but I am your guy for making some, some bold statements. I would say that in this room, we have several things in common other than the fact that we're breathing, other than the fact that we're human, like that's what middle schoolers would give me if I said that. And so this is what I would say that we all can probably come around and say, yes, I agree to this. My thinking is everyone in this room is awake. We good? We still all on the same page? And my goal is when I get finished, you're still awake. And so the other thing that I would say that we probably all have in common is that we all in some way or the another have worshiped together this morning. Uh, the praise team came out uh, and they, they led us well. Uh, we've led in worship through prayer. Now we're doing worship through teaching of God's word. We're all doing it differently from our own perspectives, but we're all worshiping together as a body. Would you agree? We good? All right, I'm two for two. This one, I'm, I, I think I'm good. I think that everyone in this room is at least five years 
old or older. Am I pretty, pretty safe with that one? Maybe, maybe have a few peppered in. This one, I, I may step out on a little bit, but I'm in Florida, so I'm, I'm taking a big leap of faith that everyone in this room has at least seen the beach or been to the beach at some point in their life. That's a pretty bold one to say, but I love the beach growing up. Absolutely loved it. I would have to be drug out of the sand by my mom to, to go back to the condo. Uh, I'd be covered head to toe in sand. I loved the beach. Notice I said loved. Because see, now I'm, a, I'm an adult. And even though we take our middle schoolers and we take our high schoolers to the beach during the summer, I absolutely hate going to the beach. And here's why I hate going to the beach. I'm the dad now. I got to carry all the junk from the car to the beach. I got to carry all the junk from the beach to the car, my kids carry a bucket. Like, come on, it weighs like a, an ounce. And I do not like sand in my car. I have a vacuum, like a portable vacuum in my console that I pull out if somebody gets in there with dirty feet. Like, I don't like it. And so that's why I take my wife's car to the beach. <laughs> but when I was little, I would play in the sand. And I had something like this. And I would, I would figure out the right ratio to water and sand because you got to make, make, it, make it somewhat firm and you get just the right amount to make the walls and, the, and everything happen. I'd use my little pink thing. My kids love when I preach because they end up getting toys. And so I would, I would play with something like this and I would build my castle and I'd be so proud. But there's always that person in our life that's a little bit extra, a little bit more, my cousin is that guy. I love my cousin, and he went above and beyond for his kids when they were growing up. Uh, there's going to be a picture on the screen behind me. He would take his shovel, not his pink shovel, his rigid shovel from Lowe's, and he would dig this huge moat around the castle that he built for his little girls because he wanted his little girl's castle to last. But here's what we know about castles, right? What are they made of? Sand, right? They're made of sand. Think about sand and it's, it's very pliable, it's very movable. Even when you put a bunch of water in it to make it firm, it's eventually gonna dry. And we know this about sand as well, the tide's gonna come in, the tide's gonna go out. Or you're gonna have a little brother, little sister that's kind of a, kind of a bully on their little brother or little sister and they're gonna come in there and just kick it over. I got a couple of those in my family. Sand's not a good material to be able to, to build a foundation on. And we may not be architects in the room. There may be some of you, but I'm, I personally am not. I know that when you build a foundation in a home or in a building, it's gotta be pretty firm. You wanna build it out of something that's solid, something that has a little bit more stability that you could put down and you can, you can stand on it. Like you can make sure that it's firm. When they were putting this building in, they didn't just assume that the foundation was good. They didn't just throw some concrete, some water down and say, we'll hope for the best. They, they leveled it, they used lasers, they made sure that it was gonna support the beams and the red iron as it was going up. When you, your house was constructed, I hope your builder just didn't throw some concrete and water down and hope for the best. I hope that they thought through the foundation because if they didn't, you're gonna have some issues. It's gonna be a shaky ground and there's gonna be cracks in the foundation. There's gonna be cracks in the walls because everything is gonna shift. When we think about our foundation of a house, it sounds a lot like our spiritual foundation. 
if we don't put the right effort, the right material into our foundation, when trouble ends up hitting us, our foundation will start to shake and we'll start to move. And so I wanna ask you a question just to get you thinking through this sermon. I love to think when, when someone preaches, how are you constructing your foundation in the Lord today to stand on tomorrow? How are you constructing your foundation of faith to stand on today or today to stand on tomorrow? Our family ministry just got back from a conference two weeks ago from the company that uh, we get all our curriculum and all our resources and everything from called Orange. Uh, And they put on this thing called the Orange Conference. They really thought outside the box on the name of the conference. And, And so we go to this conference every year and they always have a theme and their theme this year was see you tomorrow. It was enticing because I already kind of knew what I was talking about when I was preaching. And, and what they were challenging family ministry leaders and volunteers, what are you doing now today to help prepare your students, your children for tomorrow? The CEO and founder, Reggie Joyner, he had this quote and, it, and when he said it during his time on the stage, it resonated with me because I thought it was so true. He said, if the gospel that you are believing in only works in good times, then you're not believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he said that, I just kind of sat there and I'm like, that's so good. He's so right. Because if we're believing in a gospel that's all well and good while everything is great, but is absent in the bad times, then we're not believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, he tells the disciples all of these things that are going to happen. And at the very end of it, he looks at him and says, I've told you all this stuff that's going to happen when I'm gone, so you'll have peace. He says, because in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, this is coming, this is coming, that's coming. You're going to have trouble. It's not a question of if trouble finds its way to your front door. It's a question of when it hits your front door. Jesus was telling them it's a when, not if moment. He's saying, but here, here, here's what I want you to know is that when this trouble comes, the mechanism from that trouble is the world and I beat the world. That's where your peace is found. Because when we pour in our foundation, the fact that Jesus has us through our troubles and through our hard times, it gives us a sense of peace. See, our foundation in the Lord must be constructed to carry us through our burdens through our troubles. And this morning, we're gonna look at a story in the Bible in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, you can grab that and jump into the Old Testament towards the middle to end of the Old Testament. We're gonna be in the book of Daniel. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the chair backs in front of you. You can also jump on our Bible app and join in us in with the notes and the scriptures there. But we're gonna be in the book of Daniel. And I love the book of Daniel. Uh, We're gonna look at chapters one, two, and three, not all verse by verse, but just kind of the overhead. And so what we see in Daniel chapter one, we see a king come on the scene. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And this king was a a rash and impulsive king. He led with fear and he led with intimidation. And he comes in with a Babylonian army and he takes apart Jerusalem. And he tells his generals and he tells his captives, I want you to go and get captives from the Jewish people. I want you to go and get the smart people the young guys specifically because they're strong and the good looking ones. 
So if you're taking notes, he told the generals to go get a lot of people that look like Todd. Young, strong, good looking. But there was four guys that were part of this. It was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these guys said, you know what? We love the Lord. We fear God and we want to honor him with everything we do. And so we're not gonna participate in some of the things you're asking us to do, but we guarantee you this, we will be better and stronger and more valuable to you if you let us serve and worship the way we wanna worship. So the captains let them do that. And this is what happened. These four guys rose to the top. They became like really intelligent. They became really noticeable by the king. And in fact, in Daniel chapter one, this is what he says. So this is what he does with, with these four guys. He, he says, so they were put on his regular staff of advisors talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. And in all matters requiring information and balanced judgment, the king found these young men's advice 10 times better than all of the other skilled magicians and wise astrologers in the realm. He looked at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he said, these guys, there's something different. There's something valuable about them. I don't know what it is, but I consider their wisdom, I consider their input 10 times more valuable than anybody else I consult for my stuff. And if you've been around anybody like that, maybe you were in high school or middle school and you had that one person in class that always you know, tanked the curve for you so that your grade didn't get pulled up and they had every answer, like you're a little bit jealous of that person maybe. If you don't know who that was, it was probably you. And so when we think about that, that's what's happening right now. All of these other people are seeing the, the, the pride that has been taken in these four guys and they're a little bit jealous, a little bit salty. And you fast forward a little bit into Nebuchadnezzar's reign and he has this dream. Um, and in the Old Testament, we see people have dreams and they go to these other guys to get it interpreted so they can figure out what it means. And so Daniel, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar goes to all of his advisors. And remember, these four guys are part of that team. He says, hey, I've had this dream and it, it really woke me up in a cold sweat, like completely just shook my world, but I can't remember what it is. So I need you to interpret for me. And these guys looked at him like, we can't interpret something. We don't know what it is. And, and he can read the room. He's like, okay, I get it. You can't, you can't interpret it if you don't know it. So here's what I'm gonna do for you. If you don't, I'm gonna kill all of you and I'm gonna start over. Little rash, little impulsive. He led with fear and intimidation. And so these guys start looking around and, and Daniel says, hey, give me, a, give me a little bit. Give me just a little bit and I can, I can probably come up with an answer. And so, so Daniel goes and he prays and then God gives him the dream and he gives him the interpretation and he goes back to the king and he says, hey, I've got it for you. But here's the thing, I need you to know it was not me. I prayed and I asked God that I love and I serve and I, I reverently fear and worship. I asked him for the answers and he gave them to me. And then the king was so pleased, he, he honored God and he gave all credit to God but just a few short time later in his, in his ministry or in his reign, he had forgotten all of this. Even though he promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel, all the higher roles within his palace, he built this giant idol of gold in Daniel chapter three. And that's where we're gonna spend the bulk of our, our time this morning. But in Daniel chapter three, we see him build this huge idol made of gold. It was 90 feet tall by nine feet wide. Give you a little perspective. I'm 5'8", a little bit taller than me. 
huge statue. And he's like, he was pretty proud of himself. Like, you know that time when you've built something, you stand back and be like, I, I did pretty good. I like to build some things. And so there's times where I, I, I built something, I stand back and like, that was pretty good. And Nebuchadnezzar was incredibly proud of this. And he tells all of his generals and, and his captains, he says, hey, go out and tell everybody what they're supposed to do. Go out and tell them they're supposed to worship. So in John, or excuse me, in Daniel chapter three, starting in verse five, this is the decree that, that Nebuchadnezzar gives out. He says, and when the band strikes up, you are to fall flat on the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the flaming furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, I built this thing I'm really proud of. And here's what you have to do. You gotta fall flat on your face and you gotta worship. Because if you don't, I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna throw you into a fire and you are going to burn for disobeying me. Again, remember, he was the king that led with fear and intimidation. And look what the people do out of fear of the king. So when the band began to play, everyone, whatever his nation, tongue, and religion, fell to the ground and worshiped the statue. But some of the officials went to the king and accused some of the Jews of refusing to worship. Notice their posture right there. Their posture was a posture of fear for their own life. And so they did exactly what they were asked to do. No matter what their beliefs, they fell flat and worshiped a man-made idol of a king. And remember that salty group of people that were a little bit jealous of our boys? They said, hey, they didn't bow down. I'm gonna go tell the king. Probably knows some tattletales in your world too, right? And they go and they, and they tell the king like, hey, these Jewish guys that you brought in, they didn't bow down and do what you said. They didn't worship your God. And Nebuchadnezzar was, was a little torn. He was mad because they disobeyed him, but he also, he, he valued them. He valued their input, and their wisdom. And so he was a little torn. So he brings them in and he starts yelling at them. And he says, tell me this didn't happen. Tell me you didn't disobey me. Tell me you bowed down. Tell me they're lying to him. And he doesn't even give them a chance to answer. He says, in fact, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to give you a second chance. We're going to call the band back out. They're going to do an encore. They're going to hit firm foundation. As soon as they hit that bridge, boom, I want you flat on your face. I want you to worship this idol. The band didn't even get on the stage to tune an instrument. And this is what they responded to him. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not worried about what will happen to us. If we are thrown in the flaming furnace, our God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us out of your hand, your majesty. Even in the midst of being faced with their death, they were still respectful. Notice their posture. They were still respectful to the authority ahead of them. They said, hey, God's gonna, God's gonna deliver us. We know he will. He's gonna deliver us. But we're still gonna show you respect. We're gonna fear God. We're gonna have a reverent love for God, but we're still gonna show you respect because that's what God's called us to do. See, they understood what Moses was told back in Exodus that God said, hey, have no other gods before me. And so there they were. This was their when moment. How have you constructed your faith today to live on tomorrow. See, 
this was hitting the road for them. This was all theoretical up until this point. And now these guys are faced with a moment where they have to, they have to put up or shut up. They've talked about loving God. They've talked about fearing God and they've shown that. And now they have to choose which side of their fence they're gonna be on. Are they gonna bow down and worship an idol and cave to the world? Or are they gonna stand for what God's called them to do? And look what they say next. They've just said, even if, they just said, if, if, he, if he throw us in there, God's gonna, God's gonna deliver us. Verse 18, but if he doesn't, I want you to, if you're a circler, circle, highlight, underline that. If he doesn't, please understand, sir, that even then we will never under any circumstances serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have built. They looked at Nebuchadnezzar and said, God's gonna deliver us out of the fire. But even if he doesn't, even if it's in his plan for us to die in that fire, we will never, under any circumstances, worship your idols or serve your gods. In their when moment, they chose to pull out the foundation they have in God and stand on it and be secure in it. They knew and understood that God's character is true no matter the outcome. They knew no matter what happened when they went in that fire that they would absolutely come out of it knowing God's character was the same as when they went in. God is bigger than our anxiety. God is bigger than our depression. God is bigger than our job loss. God is bigger than our abandonment. God is bigger than divorce. God is bigger than any trouble this world is going to manufacture to put in your way. God's character is true no matter the outcome. And just as we kind of get ready to close this morning, I want us to get get a little bit practical because a a growing foundation in the Lord gives us strength for today and a hope for tomorrow. You may know the story of of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and and the fire, and they ended up getting thrown in that fire, and it it was turned up so hot that the guys that put them in died, and God delivered them. God didn't deliver them from the fire of life. God delivered them through it. That's the foundation that we want to instill in the next generation. That's the foundation that I want to have. And and to hear this story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, it's easy to read. It's easy to talk about. It's easy to to sit around in a Bible study and discuss, hey, how did it happen? And sometimes we may even think, well, that was then. That was a long time ago. Doesn't really help us now. So I want to help put it in practical terms. I want to tell you a story of a girl named Rachel. Uh, Rachel was your typical high school uh, junior senior. She had friends. She had a loving mom, a loving dad, brother. Um, she had a job at Subway, so she would make sandwiches all the time. And, and she loved to be with people. Uh, she was so lovable and just a beautiful young lady. But she wasn't living for the Lord until one day she got exposed to a, to a youth group called Breakthrough. And God did something unique in her life and he turned her life around. 
so much so that her parents saw a completely different change in her and they gave her a bunch of journals. And so she started journaling some thoughts down, some of her prayers to God. And she would just talk about the things that were happening in her life like you would talk to your best friend. And when she would go back to school, she went to school in a different place than any of her friends from youth group went. And she felt alone and she felt isolated, but she lived for the Lord. She showed them a changed person. She walked the halls of her school for the Lord. And April 20th, 1999, she did what she always does. She got up, she and her brother went to school. They were sitting in class and all of a sudden two gentlemen walk in the room, walk in the school to carry out active violence that this country had never seen before. They began to, to execute kids, teachers, based off of fun, based off of race, based off of religion, just began to take them out one by one. And they got to the Rachel. And Rachel was one of the victims. Her name was Rachel Joy Scott. And her parents wrote a book kind of in the aftermath of how they, they felt going in, how they felt coming out. And, and they inserted a bunch of clips and you know, some of Rachel's handwritings from her journals. And I wanted to read one this morning when we talk about the idea of when, not if moments. This is what Rachel says in her own handwritings, in her own words. She says, now that I have begun to walk my talk, they make fun of me, talking about her friends at school. They make fun of me. I don't even know what I've done. I don't really have to say anything and they turn me away. I have no more personal friends at school, but you know what? It's all worth it to me. I'm not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. I'm not going to justify my faith to them. And I'm not going to hide the light that God has put in me. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. In all of her journal entries, she dated them. That journal entry I just read you was dated April 20th, 1998. 365 days later, she was gonna walk into a school, walk out of her house for the last time and she was gonna go and be with Jesus. She had a foundation of faith that she stood on day in and day out. People knew where she stood. People knew that she wasn't gonna to bow to idols of this world. How are you constructing your foundation in the Lord just today to stand on tomorrow? Would you pray with me?